Hi, my name is Simon Luckhurst, and this is Season 2 of Ear Movies, Conversations with Buckthumper. The concept for the Golden Bell came from visiting someone in hospital once, and walking past a room where a poor man was missing a large part of his face. Like between a rock and a hard place, it just germinated from there, by asking, what if? Lex Marinos is another Australian acting legend. From becoming a household presence by playing Bruno in Kingswood Country, to his stints on radio and other acting roles, he's contributed to the performing arts for most of his life. I'd worked with him once before and knew how good he was. I didn't realise when I cast him that his parents had owned a cafe in Wagga. I think he brings something of their experience, as well as his professionalism, to this reading. I hope you enjoy The Golden Bell. The Golden Bell For as long as they could remember, Luca and Constantina Papadopoulos had been known as Lucky and Tina. They ran a shop in Burwood called The Golden Bell. In its time, it had been a restaurant, a cafe, and a milk bar. They didn't have a name for it now. It was just an old place that sold hamburgers and fish and chips. Lucky's father had set up the shop before his stroke. His mother had run it until her heart attack. Then Lucky and Tina had taken over. Lucky's younger brother, Rovertos, known as Little Bobby, was originally going to work there too. It had been taken for granted he'd replaced Tina when she had children. She'd never gotten pregnant, though, and the place never made enough for the three of them to be employed full-time. In the end, Little Bobby had found work in the building industry. Thirty-five years later, He employed half a dozen tilers, as well as plumbers, shower sealers and cabinet installers. A bunch of Central Coast billboards advertised his company, Bobby's Builders, which could take care of all your bathroom needs. He had four children, two of each. His wife, Rosetta, inevitably called Rosie, somehow grew more beautiful every year. Lucky was happy for little Bobby, but the Golden Bell struggled. He wondered about his name. He obviously wasn't lucky. He and Tina were up at five to have the shop open by six, with the coffee machine warmed up and pies in the oven. There was a rush at lunchtime for burgers, sandwiches and fish and chips. Trade usually petered out by three. Then Tina would work on the accounts at the table at the back while Lucky cleaned. This was their life for three and a half decades. They closed for two weeks at Christmas. They'd go to Terrigal and stay in the same small caravan that had once been owned by Lucky's parents. 
Originally, little Bobby had camped on the site next door. But as his business and family had grown, he'd stopped coming. He preferred resorts in Bali or Fiji, where the kids were looked after as part of the package. He'd eventually bought a mansion at Etalong. Lucky and Tina's shop was a throwback to the 50s. They'd nearly closed in the late 80s, and then it had become fashionable again. The booths, the solid wood fittings, and deco design drew a new crowd. The street refurbishment in 1998 had nearly shut them down too, but in the end, they'd survived. Lucky considered himself an artist on the grill. His burgers were made with love. He felt Tina was similarly gifted with the deep fryer. Her chips were uniformly crisp. Her battered fish melted in your mouth. Their only concession to modernization occurred when, on little Bobby's insistence, he still held a share in the shop, although he rarely intruded, they'd bought a new coffee machine. Lucky was soon a master of the macchiato, an expert at the espresso and a lord of the latte. He and the machine were as one as he ground, steamed, frothed and poured. He swore he'd once seen a woman cry with joy after she'd sipped her cappuccino. Although the Golden Bell wasn't a gold mine, they'd saved and worked hard and had nearly paid off their house. It was a two-bedroom place, nothing at all like little Bobby's mansion. They'd been back to Greece three times, twice for the funerals of his parents, and once for her grandfather. Her grandmother appeared immortal. They struggled on, but new cafes, fast food joints, and the opening of the mall a few years before had all had an impact. Although profits had fallen, costs continued to rise. The opening of the Happy Planet two doors down was a typical blow. Tina tisk-tisked for weeks. Their loyal customers reassured them that they'd always prefer the bell. Several added that Lucky's coffee was the best. Lucky, however, quietly questioned their loyalty if they'd already checked out the Happy Planet. This could be the last straw. Tina complained. She'd been saying that they were facing the last straw for years. She was making her famous batter. She mixed it by hand in a huge bowl, the same way she'd always done. Lucky remembered her as a young woman. Back then, she'd stirred with more hope. We'll be fine, he said. How many other cafes have come and gone since we've been here? We've outlasted them all. Pour the soda water, Lucky. He poured first one bottle, then another into the tub. She slowly stirred. Her hands and forearms were covered in sticky white goo. He watched her face as she moved her hands around the bottom of the mixing bucket, searching for pockets of dry flour. Once she was satisfied with the consistency of the mixture, she washed her hands and started dropping potato scallops in, preparing them for the next day. How many scallops had she battered, he wondered. How many burgers had he cooked, for that matter? How many fish had they fried? They'd been so young when they started. Sydney was different then. Less people, more easygoing. But they'd been abused for being wogs. That had changed as the Vietnamese and the Chinese had arrived, then the Arabs, now it was the Africans. The most recent arrivals always copped it. She started with the fish. As she lifted them out, she'd drop them in the hot oil to fry. As soon as the batter went yellow, he'd scoop them onto a rack to drain, ready to be properly cooked the next day. She released a fish into the mixture. He lifted the previous one out of the oil. They worked as a machine until they were all done. Tina took the tray to the cool room. Lucky knew she'd go out the back and have a cigarette. He wished she'd stop, but would it really matter? The bell on top of the door tinkled as it did every time someone opened it, as it had done a million times before. Lucky was washing his hands with his back to the counter. He heard slow footsteps as someone approached. He wiped his hands on the dish towel he kept tucked into his belt and turned to serve the customer. He almost gasped. His years of serving had trained him well, though, and his usual smile sat on his face. Can I help you? 
he asked. The man stared at him intently. Despite his experience, Lucky's eyes moved slowly downward, exploring his face, or what was left of it. He'd been injured, and it had healed badly. Pink scar tissue, deformity, and damage. He was ugly. The man looked at Lucky. He took out a pad and wrote, then gave Lucky a piece of paper. Is it too late for a burger? it said. His solitary eye was weeping. He wiped it with a grimy handkerchief and then wiped saliva away from the edge of his wreck of a mouth. Lucky went to tell him that the grill was off, that he'd already cleaned it, a, a ten-minute job he'd grown to hate over the years. He stopped as the man kept dabbing with his dirty cloth. It's not too late, Lucky said. Grab a seat. Would you like a coffee? The man nodded and went to a table near the front window. He watched the world going past outside as Lucky cooked. After a little while, Tina returned, smelling of that cheap scent she sprayed on herself to try and hide the cigarette smoke. You cooking? she asked, looking at the order. You've already turned the grill off. Lucky whispered, Poor bloke, must have been in an accident or something. I feel sorry for him. You're too soft, Tina said, watching as he flipped the putty. Here, I'll finish that. You do the coffee. He'd made so many coffees over the years that he could have done it blindfolded. He was thinking about the contorted face, though. What had happened to leave the man like that? Was there nothing the doctors could have done? Would he look like that forever? Tina passed him a plate with the burger sitting on it. He grabbed the coffee and napkin and cutlery and walked over to the table. The man turned and Lucky couldn't help but drop his eyes to the deformed face again. He knew the man had seen him. Thank you, he wrote on his pad. Lucky went back and watched from the counter. The man cut the burger into small pieces and chewed on only one side of his mouth. He was messy and half-chewed food fell onto his lap and on the floor. He appeared not to notice. But when the burger was finished, he wiped the area around him. There was a pile of napkins on his plate. He had the same trouble drinking his coffee. Some of it leaked down the side of his mouth and onto his shirt. Every time it happened, he wiped immediately, but the stains were there. Despite the mess and the dribbling, Lucky recognised that there was dignity there as well. His back was straight, and he wasn't hiding. He wasn't shrinking from the world. Tina joined him at the counter, and they both watched the man. Tina made a show of crossing herself, although she hadn't been to church for a year. What do you think happened to him? she whispered. Lucky shrugged. War, maybe. A car crash. Industrial accident. Who can say? Whatever it was, it must have been horrible. Maybe an animal ripping off his face. Perhaps he was a lion tamer. They went silent. Their respective imaginations showed them both movies that led to his disfigurement. Eventually, Lucky drifted back to the grill and began re-cleaning it. Tina potted around the coffee machine. The man didn't seem in a hurry. He stared at the world outside the window. I hope he's not going to sit there all afternoon, Tina whispered to Lucky. He'll drive anyone else away. About an hour later, the man came to the counter. Lucky considered not charging him. Hadn't he been through enough? Then he wondered if the man would be offended by being thought of as a charity case, like he was too poor to pay. Would his pride be hurt? As it was, Tina served him and took the money without hesitation. They watched him as he walked slowly out the door. God bless him, whispered Lucky. But for the grace of God, Tina said. They weren't normally religious people.
The man came back the next day. He arrived a little after two. He sat in the same seat near the front door and ordered the same meal. Lucky saw people staring at him as they entered. Some even moved on, not coming inside. The man didn't seem to notice. The 3.30 school kid rush went from full-volume seagull flock to stunned jellyfish silence in a few seconds. The man looked up at them. They looked back at him, and then quickly away. One girl left the shop. Lucky hated her for it. What right did she have to judge the man like that? The kids ordered more quietly than normal, and for that Lucky was grateful. They stammered their way through orders that were usually shrieked, interspersed with unnecessary laughter. He loaded them up with their usual chips and shakes and lollies. The man sat a long time. He left nearly as late as the day before. He came the next day as well. He took the same seat near the door, as if he was now the guardian of the cafe. Lucky waited for the school kids to arrive. They stopped at the door. This time, they didn't enter. The man sat impassively, as if he was meditating. Lucky thought he was a broken Buddha. Was he reliving the cause of his disfigurement? Was he caught in the millisecond where he'd realised beyond all certainty that what was about to happen would painfully and horribly change his life forever? Lucky had been riding his pushbike home from Michael DePauli's place when he was 13. They'd changed his front tyre after a puncture and had put the wheel back on. As he was riding home, he'd lifted the front of the bike to mount a gutter. They hadn't tightened the nuts properly. He saw the front wheel fall off in that tiny part of time with the front of the bike still in the air but no wheel below the front forks. He knew the impending crash was going to hurt. Brains were able to come to conclusions very quickly in situations like that. But what had happened to the man was far worse than a pushbike accident. The bones in his face had been smashed. Muscles had been torn away. His skin had been ripped off. Lucky shivered in the warm afternoon. He didn't want to think about it. The man was all he and Tina thought about. He was now a fixture. He arrived a little after eleven most mornings, had a coffee and toasted sandwich for lunch. He'd look out the front window. He didn't read the paper, use a phone, or try and talk to anyone. Around four, he'd order a burger and another coffee. Then he'd stay until they shut at 5.30. At night, Lucky and Tina would lie in bed and talk about what may have led to his injury. Lucky was convinced that he was a war veteran. He thought he might have been blown up by a bomb in Afghanistan. But the army looks after their soldiers. Surely they'd have given him plastic surgery, Tina argued. Lucky didn't know. Maybe there was nothing they could do, he said. Bah! These days they make jaws from metal. They graft muscle and skin, Tina replied. Lucky looked at her, surprised. I went on the internet. She rarely googled. Why would he want to look like a monster, she asked. I think he's a criminal, a victim of a gangland hit. I think it's why he's constantly staring out the window. He's on the lookout for someone. Lucky didn't think he was a criminal. He doesn't have that sort of, of attitude, he told her. He's so polite. Well, I don't know then. Would a car accident do that to you, Tina asked. Lucky shrugged. Insurance would pay for plastic surgery, though, he said. Then Tina mentioned something they hadn't discussed before. We're losing business. Lucky didn't reply. He's driving customers away. He sits so near to the front door. Yesterday... I saw two mums with prams. They were coming in until they saw him. Then they turned around. 
maybe they wanted something modern, like the Happy Planet. Tina snorted. They looked at him, she said. The school kids have never come back. There's a few other regulars who've stopped coming as well. Lucky knew she was right, but the man was injured. I couldn't ask him to leave. Don't worry about it, Lucky told her. One day he'll disappear as suddenly as he arrived. Will he? Tina asked. She paused. You're too nice to him, she whispered. Lucky was nice to everyone. How can I be too nice, he asked. You're always fussing over him, passing him napkins, topping up his water. I see you do it. You don't do that for anyone else. Well, no one else sits there so long, Lucky said. Maybe you should stop. Lucky was quiet. The poor man had obviously been through so much. Yes, it would possibly be easier if he sat at the back of the cafe, or if he wasn't there so long, or if he didn't come in every day, or at all, for that matter. But Lucky wasn't going to ask him to leave. It would just add insult to... to injury. In the days and weeks that followed, Tina grew increasingly agitated. Look at our figures, she said to Lucky one afternoon. She was at her customary table at the deepest end of the cafe. She looked to where the man sat near the door. Our takings are going down, slowly at first, but now more rapidly. But we're still making money. Just, Tina said. Lucky, I've told you before how it works. If we bring in one more dollar than our costs, Everything is all right. One dollar less, and the bills start not being paid. And then they mount up, and then we get behind, and then... They'd seen so many local businesses fold over the years. Cafes, video stores, record shops, the local hardware, and more. It's just a quiet patch, she said. It's his fault, she said, jabbing a finger at the date on her graph. The downturn started the day he started coming here. As if he knew they were talking about him, the man glanced towards them. Lucky smiled and waved back and the man turned away. You have to ask him to leave, Tina said. Lucky didn't answer. Did you hear what I said? Tina asked. Tina was cold in the morning. She barely spoke to Lucky as they dressed and left for the shop. When she cooked him his usual bacon and egg roll, the bacon was greasy and the egg was dry. In contrast, he made sure that the coffee he made for her was perfect. When the man arrived at the usual time, Lucky took his order, smiled and brought the small slip of paper to Tina. A toasted ham, cheese and tomato sandwich and a flat white. She glared at him, then stomped down to the back of the shop. He made both the sandwich and the coffee. Tina was in a bad mood all afternoon. Lucky felt her deliberately bumping him behind the counter, sometimes quite hard. The burger she made for the man when he ordered it later that afternoon was obviously inedible. Lucky binned it. He made another one and could feel Tina's eyes burning into his back. He loved her too much to be angry, but he also knew he wasn't going to give in to her. In the evening, she wouldn't let him come near. He lay next to her, but they may as well have been in separate beds. The next day was their poorest day of trade ever. Tina was in the worst mood Lucky had ever known. She glared at him continually knocking him with her wide, heavy hips. Once, she splashed him with hot oil. He knew it was deliberate. The salves aren't the only thing she's battering, he thought. My heart as well. Her mood grew worse after the man arrived. 
She disappeared to her table at the end of the cafe. She left Lucky to handle the trade, but there wasn't a lot. Lucky watched as more than one person approached the door, saw the man sitting there, and then moved on. Lucky watched Tina in the back of the cafe, scribbling numbers in her long book. The man didn't seem to notice the friction between the cafe's owners. Lucky's heart ached. More than once he asked himself if it would be better to ask the man as gently as possible if he could sit somewhere further away from the door. He couldn't do it. As far as he knew, the man's sole joy was sitting in that one place. How could he ask him to move when he had suffered, and was still suffering so much already? On the other hand, Lucky himself was also suffering. Tina hadn't wanted to go to the club, their usual Thursday night out, for two weeks now. She stopped talking to him. She hissed instead. Small, wordless descriptions which he was able to translate as meaning he was stupid and spineless and uncaring. The more Lucky thought about it, though, the more determined he became to stand his ground. It was quite likely the man had no one else to stand up for him. If a small cafe owner was the only one to do what was right, no matter his own suffering, then that's what had to be done. The strength he found inside himself because of this realisation surprised him. It also calmed him. He found he was able to deal with Tina's anger. He patiently and repeatedly explained why he needed to act the way he was. He spoke of the need for love, compassion and kindness. That's who they were, he reminded her. They were not people of self-interest, but people who gave of themselves. They were people who cared. The first few times he spoke to her, Tina just hissed more. The more he talked to her, though, calmly, gently, lovingly, the more she listened. One evening in bed, he felt her hand on his back. It had been weeks since she had touched him like that. He'd become used to a rough brush against him in the bathroom, a hard bump against him behind the counter. But now she became soft and gentle again. Eventually she spoke. Your compassion is sending us to the wall, she said. I know, he said. I'm sorry for how I've been, she whispered to him. He actually smiled. It had been a long time since he'd smiled. If we go to the wall, we'll go there together, he told her. The end of the year was getting near. The Christmas shoppers kept them afloat until the holidays, despite the man near the door. Some people still turned away, but enough made it past him that Lucky and Tina were kept busy. The man didn't seem to notice what time of year it was. He said nothing to show he knew Christmas even existed. He stayed within the bubble of his injury. He was still and unmoving, watching the world beyond the window. On the last week before they were due to shut for their annual holiday, Lucky saw Tina approach the man. She'd always been reluctant to go too close, and her hand was actually shaking as she put an unordered coffee in front of him. Here you are, she said. You're our most loyal customer. This one's on the house. It was a demonstration of kindness from someone who was afraid of being near the person they were comforting. The man looked up at her. He didn't smile. He couldn't, of course, but he nodded to her, presumably in thanks. Tina turned away. Lucky's eyes were filled with tears. It was an extraordinary act of generosity from a woman whose whole world was turning upside down. Lucky put his arms around her as she returned to the counter. He thought she'd shrug him off as she often did, but she let him hug her. They stayed like that for some time.
On the last day before their holiday, the man came up to the counter to pay. Lucky told him, Merry Christmas, and gave him his money back. When he went to clear up the man's table, Lucky found a thousand dollars under his plate. There was also a gift tag with the words, Thank you, written on it in shaky handwriting. Lucky showed Tina. How can we take money from him, she asked. Lucky shook his head. It's our Christmas present from him. It dwarfs the free meal we gave him. Tina looked out the front window as if the man would suddenly appear and explain why he'd been so generous. Perhaps he's saying goodbye, she whispered. Maybe he's seen what sitting there has done to us and has decided to move on. Lucky reached for her hand. I don't know what it means, he said, other than we can go to the club tonight. After we pack for Terrigal, she said. If he doesn't come back... We'll be all right, you and me, he said. We'll pick up trade again, make more burgers, sell more fish. It'll be our best year ever. Tina smiled. Don't stop playing the lotto, though, she told him. What's the value of your name if we don't win the lotto? Lucky looked around the cafe, seeing both the beauty it still held as well as its signs of age. The paint was peeling near the fridge. There were patches in the ceiling where the water seeped through after heavy rain. He looked at the battered cooking utensils that had been used for a million burgers, a thousand million fries. He caught a glimpse of himself in the mirror behind the counter. He'd had great hopes for the business when he started. The sheer demands of running it had left no time for expansion, though. Instead, he'd watched himself and Tina get old known the disappointment of not having children, of instead seeing both little Bobby's business and his family grow. Burwood was practically unrecognisable from what it had once been while their shop had stayed still, somehow resisting both change and profit. He realised his dreams had gone. He hadn't even noticed them leave. Ah, that's what ageing was, he thought. It was the leeching away of desire. This was why his skin was now loose in places, sagging and grey. When the dreams had gone, they'd left him like an empty balloon. He'd become an old man. His wife was the old woman standing next to him. All this in a few seconds, in the time it took to glimpse the mirror. He moved to the grill. Was he really so empty? They stayed in their caravan at Terrigal. It was comfortable enough. Twenty-three years they'd been coming. The park manager came at the end of the first day and told them this would be the last time. The row of prefab cabins that had been creeping nearer for the last few years was ready for their site. Their van had long lost any capacity to be moved. It would have to be demolished. In the early days, they'd made friends with the Solomons, the Pattersons, the Gozanskis, and other families who also came at the same time every year. Over the years, though, they'd gradually drifted away. Lucky and Tina had known that one day it would be their turn. Everything changed. Everything changed. Only the ever-changing beach stayed the same. They drove to Etlong to visit little Bobby in his white brick mansion. The kids were excited to see them. Tina gave them their presents. Once she'd knitted them clothes. Later, she'd sewed. Now they wanted gift cards. She kissed them twice on each cheek and held them as long as she could before they started squirming away. Lucky watched her. It was so unfair they hadn't been able to have children of their own. Little Bobby appeared with a beer for both of them and a bottle of ouzo as well. Lucky wasn't a big drinker, but nights with Little Bobby were the exception. The alcohol and Little Bobby's stories warmed him. It wasn't until their third visit a week later that Lucky talked about the man. 
Little Bobby laughed and topped up Lucky's glass. The ouzo burned his throat. Yeah, I'm just moving along, said Little Bobby. I know you won't, though. You're too kind. Lucky smiled. I'm surprised Tina doesn't stick it to him, though, Little Bobby added. We discussed it, Lucky explained. We can't do it. Little Bobby laughed again. You want me to do it, he asked. Oh, no, Lucky said. But he's sending you bust. There's a lot of things doing that, Lucky said. It's not just him. Little Bobby interrupted. You're not responsible for what happened to him, he said, suddenly very serious. You can't do this to yourselves, to the shop. You don't owe him anything. Lucky was silent. He knew that on a practical level, Little Bobby was right. But Little Bobby had never understood that people lived in more places than practicality. Lucky could remember going to church with Mama when little Bobby was still a baby. The coloured windows, the earnest priest, the wonder of it all, the people lining up to take the prosphoro, the children in the pews, half jealous and in awe of the holy words. When little Bobby had grown, Mama found it too difficult to manage two rowdy boys, so she'd stopped taking them. Baba wasn't a churchgoer. But he'd been in the war. Would he have sympathised with the man? Lucky thought he would have. Lucky missed his baba. The warm hands and his gap-toothed smile. The smell of tobacco that was sometimes so strong it would make Lucky sneeze. I said, what will you do if you have to close the shop? Little Bobby was asking him a question. Lucky shook his head. He didn't know. He took another sip. Lucky spent most of the last day at the beach. The next eleven months would be spent in the relative darkness of the cafe and their house. He lay in the sun. He swam, surprising himself by going out the back where the waves threw themselves up three, four metres high. The water was like a massage. He knew that even back in the van later, he'd still feel the tug and swell of the tide. You're burned to a crisp, Tina told him. She rubbed moisturiser into his back. It was an annual ritual. Lucky thought it was part of the reason he let himself get burned. He loved the feel of her fingers. Dinner that night was at the club. Little Bobby always treated them to lobster and bugs and prawns. As usual, it was a great evening. In the morning, Lucky packed the car while Tina cleaned out the van. Well, we stay next year, she asked, shutting the door for the last time. Lucky looked along the row of prefab units, like an out-of-control train with their old van in its path. We can't afford a cabin, she said. All this time we'd be coming here, he answered. Enough time to grow a family, although they hadn't done it. Enough time to grow old instead, Lucky thought. They drove home slowly. Opening the shop for the first time in a few weeks meant a very early start. The place needed to be thoroughly cleaned. Then there was all the food prep. They were practised at it. They'd done it so many times before, but it wasn't a day they liked. There was a question neither of them asked, although Lucky knew Tina was thinking the same as he was. Would the man come? He arrived at his usual time and took his spot by the door. January in the cafe was always quiet anyway, but all day they only served a dozen people. We can't survive like this, Tina told Lucky on the way home. Lucky thought of the beach. They were in the city, but up there on the coast there were the water and the sun and the screams of excited children. People swimming, eating seafood, sleeping in the warm afternoons. 
All they had was the dark cafe. We can't survive like this, he thought. A few months later, Tina was in front of the TV when Lucky came into the lounge room. It was a reality show he knew she didn't really like. He sat down, but before he had a chance to start watching, she turned it off. This week we ran at a loss. He looked over to her. It's the first time ever. We'll need to get a loan, just to tide us over until things pick up again, she said. Will we be able to pay it back, he asked. Don't worry about that. You know I'm good with money. Tina ran her fingers up and down his arm. I'll do the paperwork, shall I? He nodded. Will they give us one, he asked. Her fingers fled his arm and began to stroke her own. They should, if we use the house as collateral. Lucky thought about it. Uh, how much will we borrow? Ten, twenty thousand will cover us. Lucky looked at Tina. She seemed so small. All right, he said. You fill out the forms. The next day she worked at a table whenever she was able, which was most of the day given how few customers they had. From his place by the window, the man turned to her more than once. She made an appointment for Lucky the day after. At eleven o'clock, he headed into the mall. It was crowded, noisy. He found the bank and waited in the seat. He felt like he was there a long time. After a while, he became hungry. He went and bought a sandwich. He walked into a clothes shop. There was a suit he liked, grey and stylish. It looked comfortable. He felt the fabric with his fingers. How'd you go? Tina asked when he went back to the shop. They have to make an assessment, he said. They'll let us know in a week or two. She nodded. I hate that it's come to this, she said. He nodded as well. The loan never came through. Tina wondered how they could be considered such a poor risk. The house was nearly paid off and they'd run their business profitably for so long. She'd manipulated their financial position to within a few centimetres of the truth, so they couldn't have known just how perilous things really were. Lucky grew very quiet. He remembered a saying he'd once heard, possibly to do with water or time or some other unknowable. Now it applied to their little cafe. The inevitability of gradualness. Whatever was coming in whatever shape it was taking, was unstoppable. There was nothing to prevent it happening. It was like a wave looming over him, a wave with no way of diving under. They struggled on all the way until June. The final blow was the account from the butcher. They didn't have the money to pay for it. And they were behind already. They owed for the fish as well. There was a huge power bill looming. There was no point in opening. Tina taped a note to the door saying they were closed. Lucky wondered what the man thought when he saw it, but they were home by then. It was strange to be home on a weekday with the sun still shining. Lucky wondered what they'd do. On the second afternoon, Lucky saw Tina chattering away to herself in the garden. He stood at the kitchen window and saw her near the olive tree looking for all the world like she was talking to someone, but there was no one there. It was worrying, and Lucky was worried about enough things as it was. There was no option but to make the call. He didn't want to do it, but after seeing Tina, he knew he had to. Is that you, Bobby? I hope so, otherwise someone stole on the phone. <laughs> Little Bobby laughed. What are you doing calling me up in the daytime? We're just packing for a trip. We've lost the bell, Lucky whispered, feeling guilty. We ran out of money. Yeah, it's not your fault, little Bobby said. Lucky grunted in disagreement. You think it is, don't you? You think if you'd kicked out that man with the face, you'd still be there? Lucky stayed quiet. I'll lend you money. Get you going again? It was the offer Lucky had feared. It won't work, he said. The shop's gone. Times have changed. The whole suburbs moved on and we didn't move with it. I went to the bank, 
but I couldn't apply for a loan because I knew eventually it was going to leave us worse off. The writing's been on the wall for years. Another ten years, we could have sold and retired. But it's come too early, Bobby. It's left us stranded. What'll you do? Little Bobby asked after a while. It's all I've been thinking about for months, even at Christmas. I don't know. What if we modernise, you know, give the old bell a facelift? We'll be away for a week, little Bobby said. I'll come and see you when we get back. We'll work something out, okay? For some reason, an image of the beach came to Lucky's mind. He saw the man with the shattered face, too. He remembered Tina talking to herself. I need to think some more, he said. They went down to the shop in the morning out of habit. They spent the day cleaning, dumping the food in the fridges, and draining the oil from the fryers. They worked until a knock on the door around eleven. The man was peering in. They both stopped what they were doing. The man knocked again. Do you think he can see us? whispered Tina. I don't know, Lucky said. What do you think he wants? The man knocked again. Lucky opened the door. The man's damaged face was as bad now as when they'd first seen it. He glanced at Lucky, and then inside the shop, with its bags of rubbish, stacked boxes, its piled-up chairs and tables, he took out his small pad and wrote something. He handed Lucky the paper. Lucky looked at it, then at the man, questioning him with his eyes. What is it? asked Tina from the counter. He wants a ham, cheese and tomato sandwich and a flat white. Lucky looked at Tina, who looked away from him, first to the mess behind the counter and then to the man. He was now sitting in his usual place. It was as if he couldn't tell anything was different. Tina turned back to Lucky. What are you waiting for? she asked. You do the coffee, I'll make the sandwich. Lucky came over to her and put his arms around her. She pulled away, of course, like she always did. Then she surprised him by coming back. He found her lips next to his, and they kissed for a long time. Lucky felt more love for Tina than he'd ever felt before. He knew then that regardless of what happened to them, they'd always have this moment. It was a bearing, an emotional southern cross, to guide them no matter what happened in all the years ahead. They made the food and they took it to the man together. He looked up appearing surprised to see them both standing there. Lucky saw, in that second, the man's face became undamaged. He was whole again. And he was beautiful. That was Lex Marinos reading The Golden Bell. We recorded in Nut and Butter Studio in Marrickville, and it was mastered at King Sound Studios. The music was by Trevor Brown. Please check out his website. There's links from earmovies.com. 
Season 2 of Ear Movies is brought to you in a shameless plug for my audiobook Charlie's Wives, read by Robert Hansen. Based on a true fragment of history, Charlie Brewster writes letters for African-American army wives to their husbands at the front during the American Civil War. In a world of violence and PTSD, he starts to learn about intimacy and women. On the way home, he passed the market, saw Tinsy, and watched her for a while. Two children running around her, happy and carefree and loud. She stopped and conversed with a young man, colored. They laughed at something, grew serious, then smiled again and farewelled each other warmly. Charlie watched the whole encounter, thinking. You can buy Charlie's Wives from Audible or get the hard copy from Amazon or the ebook from Kindle. There are links on the Ear Movies website. Please come back for more of Conversations with Buck Thumper, Season 2 of Ear Movies. I'm Simon Lockhurst. Thanks for listening. Thank you.